So, I told y'all last week, uh, for those of you who were here, uh, I told y'all last week about my commissioning interviews, which is the first big step you take toward ordination in the Methodist Church. Uh, Anne-Marie has those coming up, so I'm going to tell you that over and over, so you'll be praying for her. Um, But I told you about how I had this one guy who gave me sort of a hard time, and how he eventually became my mentor, uh, but I didn't tell you why he gave me a hard time. Uh, see, when you go through commissioning, you, uh, you do all your paperwork, which is well over 100 pages, something like that, uh, and then you get to do the in-person interviews. And there are three different rooms that you get interviewed in for 45 minutes each. So there's preaching and teaching, there's polity, which is like church governance, polity and emotional intelligence, and then lastly, there's theology. Well, like I said last week, I, I went through my first two interviews, preaching and teaching, and polity and emotional intelligence, and they went pretty well. And I get to my last interview, theology, and I, at first it was going, I thought, really well too. Uh, that was until this same guy, who would later become my mentor, looked me in the eyes and he said, define the kingdom of God. And I got nervous. And uh, he was kind of an intense guy. I was intimidated. And so I just gave this bland answer about how the kingdom of God was God's reign over the world, which is true, but that's pretty much all I said, and I just kind of figured we'd move on. Uh, Well, he paused, and he sort of furrowed his brow, brow, and he looked at me and he said, that's it? That's the best you have? That's all you've got? Well, of course, that made me ridiculously nervous. So nervous that I couldn't have even told you my name Nonetheless, talk about pneumatology and epistemology and, uh, and eschatology. And, and so I blathered and rambled a little bit, uh, tried to finish up, but honestly, I didn't do a great job. And, and so after my interviews, I got back, and my first day back at work, I found every book about the kingdom of God that I could find. I pulled up articles, I had every tab open. I was never gonna let that happen again. So word to the wise. But, uh, but you've probably heard that phrase before many times, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I love what John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement said uh, about this topic. He said, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are but two phrases for the same thing. They mean not barely a future happy state in heaven, but a state to be enjoyed on earth. See, when we talk about the kingdom, we don't just mean heaven. We mean something that's happening now, the spiritual realm that is among us at all times, which sounds pretty esoteric. But essentially, the kingdom of God is the biblical way of describing the reign of God over all creation. And it's something that's already in place, and at the same time, it's something all of us are working to bring into being. It is both present and future. It is here but not yet. That is the phrase that you're supposed to say in your interviews that I did not say. At ordination, I said it like eight times. But uh, anyway, this is a big concept. And I think there are, are probably a lot of people who, like me, might get a little confused by it. Because the kingdom of God is a hard thing to pin down. It's a hard thing to define or understand completely. But that's what we're going to be trying to do this month. We're starting this new series uh, called Realm. And over the next 
three weeks, we're going to be reading three out of the seven parables that, that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. And in all of these parables, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to something. Because Jesus knew we would have a hard time understanding this. And so he made it simple. He used language we could understand. He used images that we would get, that we could wrap our minds around. And so we're going to be looking at those images and learning about the kingdom. How does it function? What does it look like? How does it operate? And most importantly, how do we help bring it to fruition? So let's get started. Let's see what Jesus has to say to us about what the kingdom of God is like. This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. You've probably heard this one before. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So what is the kingdom of God like? It's like mustard. It's a pretty strange image to use. Jesus could have, could have said the kingdom of God is like a mighty oak tree. It's like a towering cedar. It's like a roaring ocean, an expansive sky. But he doesn't. Instead, he says it's like mustard. And while that seems strange, it is actually a brilliant metaphor. And so that's what we're going to dig into tonight, why Jesus chose mustard of all things. First, Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Mustard seeds, as Jesus says, are exceptionally small. And yet, they can grow into massive mustard fields. What starts as a tiny, almost hard to see dot has this massive potential. I was going to bring a, a thing of mustard seeds to show y'all, but then I was like, you wouldn't even be able to see it. Which just makes my point, I guess. But, but this, is, this is the same for the kingdom of God. When we do small acts of good, when we love our neighbor, when we share our story, when we're self-sacrificial, when we emulate Jesus, we sow a tiny mustard seed that can become an enormous shrub. It reminds me uh, of a great story that I heard on a podcast recently. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell tells this story, the story of da uh, Dr. David Marin in an episode of Revisionist History. Um, See, early on in the 20th century, goiters were extremely common. Uh, goiters, are, if you're not familiar, are growths on your thyroid gland. And they can be golf ball size or they can be as big as volleyball size in adults. I would encourage you, don't look them up. Uh, but if they get big enough, they're a huge problem. They can restrict your breathing. They can restrict uh, eating. They're basically a huge nuisance for people. Well, Dr. Marin noticed that goiter was extremely rare by the coast, but that it got more and more common the further, the further that a region was away from the ocean. And so he hypothesized that goiters were caused by a lack of iodine in people's diets. Iodine is found in fish and in seawater, uh, but it's way less common in the diets of people in places like Ohio. Uh, Ohio where goiter at the time was rampant. It was actually endemic. 
Anyway, people thought he was crazy. Iodine is an extremely trace element in our bodies. And so no one thought it would make any difference at all, but Dr. Marin was convinced. So in 1917, somehow, he convinced the school district in Akron, Ohio, to let him give students with goiter a dose of iodine. And within three weeks, goiter was completely eliminated in their school. He had come across one of the most significant scientific breakthroughs of the 20th century. But the problem was, nobody would do it. No one would include iodine in their diets. They were still skeptical. And so he had an idea. He reached out to several salt companies because you only need a very trace amount of iodine, a few micrograms, for it to be helpful. It's odorless, tasteless, so it can disappear in salt, and it's extremely stable, so stable that it can sit on your dining room table or in your cabinet. Well, eventually, they agreed, and that's why we have iodized salt. It's also why goiter has been essentially eradicated in the United States. Today, it doesn't matter, matter whether you live uh, by the ocean or not. Wherever you are, you probably get plenty of iodine through your table salt. Anyway, I tell you that long, very nerdy story because I think it's kind of a modern parable of the mustard seed. First of all, they're both about condiments, so that's a great connection. But second of all, and more importantly, something so small, the most trace of elements, and it virtually eradicated a very common, very problematic condition that millions of people suffered from. And the key to it all was one man, one farmer who had the faith and the confidence to sow the seed, to try. Dr. David Marin changed the world with a tiny amount of iodine. We can change the world with a tiny mustard seed, with a small gesture of kindness, with a word of encouragement, with a random act of love, with an invitation to church, perhaps on Saturday nights, with little acts of faith. It doesn't have to be big, uh, crazy, huge stuff. You know, sometimes I think we, we, we see all the problems in the world and we get overwhelmed. We think, how could I possibly make any difference? How could any of my actions, even my lifetime of actions, mean anything? How could it matter? And it leaves us apathetic. And then we stop sowing seeds altogether. We stop doing the small stuff. But that's exactly what Jesus is telling us not to do. Because the kingdom of God flourishes when all of us sow tiny seeds. Seeds of love and seeds of goodness. And we trust that God can grow them into those massive shrubs. And you know what? He will. Because that's the other part of this parable. Jesus says the kingdom is like mustard seeds and mustard weeds. See, the seeds we plant don't stay seeds very long. Uh, like Jesus says, they grow into mighty shrubs. And here's the thing about mustard plants. I know more about mustard plants than I ever thought I would know. Um, they're actually an invasive weed. 
That's what makes Jesus' use of mustard as an example so brilliant. He's talking to a bunch of farmers. And so when he starts out this parable and he says, a man sows a mustard seed in his field, they would have thought, why? (laughs) Who would do that? That's a terrible idea. It's a weed. Mustard still today is a menace. I found an article from a couple of years ago uh, about how garlic mustard weeds have been taking over massive plots of land in California and the government was having to, to figure out what to do about it. Mustard is invasive. It's a hard to eradicate plant and that's the point. Jesus chose this image of mustard very intentionally. Yes, because it starts as a tiny seed, but you know what? There are a lot of tiny seeds that turn into big trees. He also chose it because the mustard plant takes over once it's sown. It's a weed. It spreads quickly. And, And you know what? It's also not particularly good looking. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It doesn't look like what you think it'll look like. It looks like a weed. It looks messy, but it grows fast. It looks like 12 disciples, none of whom were great military leaders or religious scholars. They were fishermen and tax collectors and just guys Jesus met. And they started the greatest movement in human history. They started the church. And it looks like a Samaritan woman at a well. A woman who had been through several relationships, who had been abused. And Jewish men weren't even supposed to talk to her. And yet she has this encounter with Jesus. And she's the first person in the Gospel of John to go and tell somebody else about Jesus. And you know what that makes her? The first evangelist. And it looks like the savior of the world. Being born to a teenage mom in a barn placed in a feeding trough. The world expected a mighty military leader and instead they got a baby. A tiny prince of peace who would go on to defeat death itself. The kingdom of God doesn't look anything like people thought it would. It looks messy, but it spreads quickly. It's a mustard weed. And that's the beauty of this parable. It tells us that when messy people like us sow unexpected small things, big things can be born. And it can attract more people to the kingdom. And so we are called to sow seeds. Again, trusting that, that, that God's weeds can do something that we would never imagine. Uh, I want to tell you about someone you've probably never heard of, Nancy Ambrose. Nancy was a devoted follower of Christ, and she was also a former slave who eventually found her freedom. When Nancy was growing up in the 1800s as a slave, the, the local minister would come to the quarters that she lived in, and he would regularly preach to them about how they, they should obey their master. But even as a young woman, Nancy rejected this theology. It didn't make sense to her. And so after she found freedom, she went and she learned more about Jesus and she became convinced that that minister was wrong, that Jesus was on the side of the oppressed and the hurting. And she instilled that understanding of Jesus in her grandson who she raised. 
His name was Howard Thurman. This may be another name that you're not familiar with, but I would encourage you to become familiar with him. Howard was a shy man. He didn't lead marches or give dramatic speeches. But Howard Thurman was a spiritual genius who transformed history. Thurman was a a pastor, professor, and a Christian mystic whose groundbreaking book, Jesus and the Disinherited, was a condemnation of the form of Christianity which Thurman thought was far too often, quote, on the side of the strong and powerful and against the weak and oppressed. This book revolutionized the traditional portrait of Jesus and it had a profound influence on one young pastor in particular, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Thurman was classmates with MLK's father and and so throughout his life, Thurman mentored MLK and his words uh, had a massive impact on uh, Martin Luther King's faith and his ministry and his activism. Thurman was actually the first African-American pastor to meet Gandhi. And he was one of the first pastors to inspire King to merge Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolent resistance with the uh, budding civil rights movement that was going on. Um, Thurman's concepts of nonviolence and Jesus are riddled throughout uh, Dr. King's writing. But Martin Luther King was enormously influenced by Howard Thurman. And in several of his books, Howard Thurman talks about how he attributes his devotion to Jesus to his grandmother, Nancy Ambrose. And so the question is, did a poor former slave sow a mustard seed that eventually helped create the civil rights movement? Absolutely she did. With faith like a mustard seed with the simple act of teaching her grandson about a man named Jesus who said the poor will inherit the earth, that the oppressed will be empowered, that a single mustard seed, an invasive weed, is what the kingdom of God looks like. And you know what? She probably had no idea what her influence would mean, but her life and her impact was invasive. It spread to Howard, and that spread to Martin Luther King, and that's, that spread to a nation. And tonight, as we enter into Black History Month, it's spreading to us. Because you know what? The kingdom of God is a weed, and that's what it does. And when we have the courage to sow small seeds, it can take over. It can go far beyond we ever even intend. It can spread wildly, and you know what? It can also make a home for the birds. Remember what Jesus said in our scripture. Jesus says, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it's the greatest of shrubs, becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Our small acts grow, and they make a place for birds to call home. Those last few words of Jesus are significant, because some scholars have said that Uh, that the birds represent the the Gentiles and the marginalized. Supposedly, birds was a common way that ancient Jews would refer to people on the fringe of society. And so what Jesus is saying, what he's suggesting, is that our small acts bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, they grow like a weed, and then people are attracted to the kingdom. And they find belonging. They find a home. They find a place to build their nest. Our small acts of kingdom building, our acts of sowing tiny mustard seeds can lead people to finding a home in Christ Jesus.
That is the most significant thing we can do. That's the potential power of the littlest act of faith. The kingdom of God can be born out of it. And that kingdom has room for everyone, for the least and the last and the lost. We just have to have the faithfulness to sow tiny seeds whenever, wherever. So church, let's do it. Because the kingdom of God is like mustard. It's seeds, it's weeds, and it's a home for the birds. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.